Mark opened this series by talking to us about Jesus' invitation to pray to our Father, which is an amazing invitation that we can come to and address God as our Father. And as we see here, he says that we should pray that our Father's name would be hallowed or, or holy. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But then he says, your kingdom. And he's connecting the your, obviously grammatically, to the our Father. But our Father's kingdom should come. So this Father is also a king. And I thought about this this week in two, two phrases that we use in our, in our culture. One is that man or that person was like a father figure to me. And what we mean by that is uh, I experienced something from this man or this person that uh, was nurturing and caring and protective and provisional and uh, wise and guiding. And, and, we, and we, we apply that and we say that was like a father figure. because we know this is what a father ought to do. Then the second phrase is, uh, if, that we use oftentimes is, if I was king for a day, which strikes at our, uh, our quest for authority, our quest for control, our quest to subdue those darn enemies that we've got. You know, we've, if I were king for a day, here's what I'd do. And I got to thinking, what if the father figure and the king for a day were actually in one father king forever? Well, that's exactly what we have here is a heavenly father who is holy, who is also a king and has a kingdom that will last forever. And so we can, and Jesus' invitation here is to pray that this kingly father's kingdom would come. What in the world does that mean? So we're gonna just let the three words of the prayer, your kingdom, your or thy kingdom come. So let's just start with who is this your, this thy that we're talking about. We already said he's a father that is also a king. And I thought about maybe the best way to, to heighten our vision of this is actually just to, to, to recount for you the vision that Isaiah had of this king in Isaiah 6. All right, so get your imagination on here. As I, as I recount this story, think about it in your head, and then I'll explain it. Isaiah 6 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. And around him were seraphs, each having six wings. With six wings they covered their face, with six wings they covered their feet, and with six wings they were flying. And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. All right, you got that picture in your mind? In the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a real king on earth. Israel would have known that. They would have known about his rule and his authority. They would have known about his dominion and his laws. And Isaiah says, in that year that that king died, I saw a king high and exalted. The implications, I saw the king of kings. I saw Uzziah's king. I saw this king that was high and exalted above Uzziah the king. And this king was high and exalted. And then he says, and I saw this king's robe. The robe of this king filled the temple. I'll never forget 1981. Some of you are old enough to remember this. When Princess Diana got married to Prince Charles of Wales and the media pundits went crazy about the length and ornate 
ornate nature of Princess Diana's robe, the train of her robe. And there's a picture that I, for some reason, you know, at, at age eight, I had this seared in my head from the balcony as she was walking down with the bishops and cardinals in the processional and her robe was like 27 rows long. And they talked about that it would just fit her role. It fit her, her calling as the prince of, princess of Wales. And that's exactly what the robe of a regal monarch is supposed to reveal is their power, their stature. And here Isaiah says, this king of kings, his robe filled the temple. And then there's these, these very strange beings, these seraphs, these, these uh, heavenly beings, these warrior messengers that are surrounding this throne. And they have six wings. Two covers their face from the glory of God. Two covers their feet from their creatureliness, subordination to this king. And then with two wings, they're flying, doing his will all over heaven and earth. And those seraphs are calling out in the heavenly courts to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. If I send you an email or I write you a letter or I send you a text and I wanna emphasize something, I'm gonna all caps it, I'm gonna boldface print it, I'm gonna underline it, I'm gonna send it in red, you know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna send a crazy blow up emoji with it or something, right? Well, in ancient writings, when they wanna emphasize something, they repeat it. And this is the only attribute of God that's repeated three times. He's holy, holy, holy. Yes, God is love, but his love is a holy love. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. His power is a holy power. His spirit is a holy spirit. And so when Jesus in his prayer says, pray to your father who is in heaven that holy is his name, this is what he has in mind. The regal set-apartness of our heavenly father. He is a king and he is holy. So he says, your kingdom come. What is this kingdom? What is Jesus asking us to pray? And the best way for me to try to communicate this is just to tell you how Jesus lived this out. Okay, we all know that Jesus died at the age of 33 on the cross, and then he ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the throne of majesty today. And he will come again and he will bring his kingdom in the fullness. But while he was on the earth, he, he, he did his ministry for three years. And the first thing he did when he came out to, to do his ministry was he started proclaiming a gospel of the kingdom that said something like this. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. What he established right there is the first thing you would know was evidence that the kingdom of God has come is that there would be repentance. And what he meant was there was an alliance over here to a whole bunch of other kingdoms. And we're gonna talk about this in a second. But repentance is turning from those faulty, unsatisfying, unfulfilling, unpowerful kingdoms to the all-powerful, all-satisfying kingdom of God. You'll know the kingdom has come when people repent from this kingdom and turn to this kingdom. Repent for the good news of the kingdom has come. But then what did he do? He preached this message, and then the first thing he did after his baptism is he went out to that, that cosmic playground fight with the devil. He said, devil, your reign is over. And the devil started tempting him. He tempted with his, the, the kingdom of our appetites. Yeah, turn these, these stones to bread. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. 
Okay, Jesus, you want to have uh, authority over all the kingdoms. Bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms, the, the, the false kingdoms. He says, no, worship the Lord your God alone. He's king. Okay, Jesus, you want to have all power? Throw yourself off here and see if God will rescue you. Don't put your Lord of God to the test. And in that moment, he disarmed the authority of the devil right there in his face. And then he proceeds from there and he goes. And he goes through the countryside of this little no, no place of Galilee and Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem. And he begins to cast out demons. What is that? This is the king telling these kingdoms it's over. And then he goes to people's bodies, whose bodies were under the oppressive kingdoms of disease and death and decay. And he heals the blind and he heals the lame. And then he goes to people whose social, cultural lives were in shambles, their political lives were in shambles. And he disarms those kingdoms. Tells the woman at the well that she can have love like she's never experienced from five different husbands. And on and on. You know the stories of Jesus. What was he doing? He was bringing the kingdom. He was showing them when the kingdom of God is present, this is what's there. Peace, power, healing, flourishing. An allegiance to a ruler who has flourishing in mind. There is peace in the kingdom of God. There is flourishing in the kingdom of God. One of, my, one of the authors I like to read said, there is abundance and beauty and order wherever the kingdom of God comes. Thy kingdom come. What does it mean for this word come? If you can just give me a second to be a little bit academic here, because it's important. We, we as a church believe that the scriptures are the inspired and fallible word of God. That by his Holy Spirit, he breathed every word of the scriptures. Even the verb tenses matter. Let me give you a good example. This one is one of the best. So this word here in the Greek for come, it's sometimes translated let your kingdom come or bring your kingdom, but it's in what's, what in the Greek is called the aorist active imperative. Don't get lost in the academics here. Some of you will appreciate this. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Hang with me. This tense, this verb tense is in place because it indicates that there's an action that happened in the past that's gonna take fruit in the present with a future completion. That's what the aorist active imperative. So if I tell Luke, I want you to go plow the field and I use the aorist active imperative, I mean, he knows what plowing is because he's seen it before. I need you to do it right now, Luke, so that in the future I can plant my crops. Okay, end of academics. Theologians understand that this verb tense is getting to a bigger picture of what we call the already and not yet kingdom of God. The kingdom has already come. It's not yet fully completed. You experience this already in your body, in your mind. Some of you have repented and turned from the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God. You know what that feels like. Some of you have seen the, the oppressive nature of greed and power and sex, and you've turned from those gods and those kingdoms to the kingdom of God for peace and purity and holiness. But then I had this old man, and I go back to these kingdoms, right? And this is our journey. The already not yet tension is what we live in. But make no mistake, just because there's a tension doesn't mean that it's not coming. So the scriptures tell us to wait for this kingdom with patience, right? You've gotta be patient as you struggle to bring life in this, live life in this already not yet. This requires endurance. 
It's gonna come with, with onslaughts of war and battle. Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our reality right now. You must endure those battles. You must remain vigilant. Your, devil, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour because the kingdom is not fully realized yet. So I thought about how do I, how do I give you a couple of stories that will pull this together? What did, what did Jesus actually mean when he said, pray that God's kingdom would come? All right, here's, here's two stories to end with. Here's the first one. This one comes from C.S. Lewis. You know, C.S. Lewis is famous for writing his Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you have read it. Some of you have seen the movies. It's, it's worth your energy to do one or both. But there's, there, in one, one of the books, is, it's called The Dawn Treader. There is a character, bless his heart, and it's this little boy named Eustace, okay? And uh, Eustace has a very unfortunate name, and, uh, and, it, and Eustace is a, is, a, is a restless soul, right? And Eustace... Uh, throughout the book, uh, we see his character develop. But one night, he has a dream, and in that dream, his appetites for other kingdoms, his greed, his quest for power and authority, uh, transform him. And he wakes up, and he is a dragon. Eustace becomes a dragon, and he has these scales all over him. And the, the picture that C.S. Lewis is trying to give us is a very biblical picture. There are only really two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan is always depicted by serpentile type creatures. So here's Eustace who's denied the kingdom of God and then gone over here to the kingdom of something else. And he's got on him these scales. And he begins to ache. He begins to have pain because these scales are oppressive. And he starts getting pains in his leg. And he has an encounter with Aslan who is the God king figure. And Aslan says, you can be free from that. Here's a pool that you can bathe in that will wash away all of these aches and pains and heal you, but you won't be able to feel that water unless you get rid of the scales. The scales will prevent that water from doing its healing. So Eustace is desperate. So he starts peeling off the scales and they won't, they won't peel away, Aslan. I can't, I can't get them off. They're just too thick and too big. And Aslan is a kind, patient father, waits and lets Eustace flower about. And he says, unless I undress you, the scales won't come off. And you could, in the story, you can sense his fear. I, I know this lion is kind, but he's dreadful. I don't want him to undress me. And he says, unless I undress you, you can't experience the water. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. Then the lion said, you'll have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone straight to my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the scales peel off. We peeled the beastly stuff right off. And there I was, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me I didn't like that very much for I was tender and underneath now and I had no skin and he threw me into the water. 
It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. Then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. Any man that is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone away and the new has come. Why? Because the kingdom had come to him. To pray for the kingdom to come means that the king might have to tear through some pretty thick, traditional, tough skin. It is never pleasant at first. But friend, lay there and let him do it. Let his kingdom come in your life, in your family, in your work, and in your world. All right, the last story, and this will get us to the table. Um, I've been watching The Chosen. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have started watching The Chosen? Okay. So enough of you will connect with some of it. If you haven't, sorry, but you, you'll get it. It's, it's, a great, it's a great rendition of the life of Jesus and his disciples. We're in season three. And season three could not be more appropriate for us as we're preaching this section of, of the Lord's Prayer. And here's what the, the last few episodes have been. Jesus has spent uh, you know, about a year with his disciples and they're starting to understand that he's the Messiah and the kingdom is coming. And he's started, you know, he's healed some people and he's done some miracles, enough for them to go, okay, the kingdom of God is, is among us. And so he's at the place, and it's about the Matthew 10 section, where he gives them authority and he sends them out two by two, right? He's like, okay, you've seen what I've done. The kingdom of God has come. I'm giving you now the authority to go. And so he sends them out. And then the, 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 the episodes take a, you know, they got that scene going on. And then Jesus goes back to Nazareth, his home area. And in a sense, he's going back to say goodbye to his mom and his home because he knows the end of his time on earth is coming. And he's going to, to set that up. So he goes to his synagogue in Nazareth and in the Luke 4 section where he reads from Isaiah 60. In the section of Isaiah that he opens the scroll in the synagogue in front of all the religious people in front of his family and friends in Nazareth and he reads about the Messiah. And he says, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to, to give sight to the blind, to free captives, blah, blah. And at the end where he stops is then to proclaim the year of Jubilee the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops. He rolls the scroll up and he says, today, in your hearing, this is fulfilled in me. And they go berserk. Well, you're claiming to be the king. You're claiming to be the Messiah. You're claiming, right? That's right. Okay, then it juxtaposes back to the, this ragtag group of disciples who are out there trying to do the kingdom work, right? And, and every time they start, it's the Lord's prayer. So they're standing in the street corner and they're saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will. And they're citing, and then it goes to them healing a little kid, healing a blind person, casting out demons, telling people about the kingdom. of And it's this incredible picture of the kingdom of God coming already. So they, so they, you know, they do this work and they're just blown away. It's incredible. The, the demons submit to us and the people are being healed. This is incredible. So they go back and they have this debriefing with Jesus. And they're, in, they're up with Jesus and they're talking, they're laughing, they're eating, and they're breaking bread together. And, and he's, he's kind of giving them all the, you know, the insider information and trying to teach them with parables. I'm like, I don't get that too much. And it's, it's great. You know, I just feel like myself. Like, I, I think I see what you're saying, Jesus. But, you know. Anyway, and so they're in this room. And then one of the leaders of the synagogue, Jairus, comes. 
And he comes and he bursts in the room. And Jesus looks at him and says, Jesus of Nazareth, my daughter is dying and I think you can help. And Jesus says, I've never met you before and you don't know me, yet you think I can heal your daughter. He said, I've heard about all the miracles. I've heard what your disciples are doing. Come and heal my daughter. So Jesus gets up and he starts walking. He walks out in the crowd and the crowds heard that he was coming. And at this point, it's at a fever pitch. The, the, the miracle worker is here. The rabbi of rabbis is here. And they're crowding in on him and the, and the pressure around Jesus. And the, you know, the, the, the disciples, bless their hearts, are trying to act like bouncers and keep people off and trying to war off. And it's just crowds everywhere. And all of a sudden, as Jesus is walking, he stops. And there, the story had picked up, there was a woman who had a bleed who doctors couldn't heal. She had an ailment that nobody could fix. And she just said to herself, if I could just touch his garment, I would be healed. So in the midst of this chaotic moment, as Jesus is walking through the streets and all these people are pressuring him, she touches his, just the edge of his robe. And Jesus stops in the, in the classic Hollywood, the music, the music starts, everything goes silent. And Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And Peter, Peter goes, they're all touching you. What are you talking about? He says, no, no, this one was different. Power came out from me. And he turns and there's the woman who had been bleeding and she's healed. And you could just see the look, oh my goodness, the kingdom of God came at that moment in that lady's life. And so they, they, they pull themselves together and they keep walking. Jesus is walking towards Jairus' house and the, and the officials from Jairus' house come and they tell Jairus, she, she died. It's, it's over. We started the funeral processions. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus says, take me to her. And the story goes on and he goes into that little girl's bedroom and he raises her from the dead. <laughs> and the, and, the, and the, the way it's pictured is like, oh my goodness, they have prayed the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They've seen it in the healing of the woman, now the raising of the dead, the kingdom. The kingdoms all over the place are just crumbling under the feet of this rabbi. And he walks outside and the religious leaders and the leaders of Rome are there. And what they wanna argue about is cleansing rules. Jesus, you touched a dead body, you're unclean. And it's this, Picture of, are you kidding me? You want to argue about this little kingdom over here when this happened? And Jesus says, okay. He grabs his disciples and they're all just like in awe. And they go down to the Sea of Galilee and the, and the, and the episode ends with them all jumping up and down in the water, splashing. And it was just this clear, I came to proclaim the year of Jubilee. Just like Eustace. When the kingdom of God comes, people are liberated from everything from physical ailments to political oppression to the, to the domain of sin in the heart. And when that happens, it is jubilee. It is a kingdom of flourishing. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, that is what Jesus is telling you to pray for right now. Whatever oppression you are under, whether it's your own sinful oppression, whether it's your own addiction, whether it's the government, whether it's finances, pray, thy kingdom come. And God is well pleased to answer that prayer. So we come to this table. And here's the, trans here's the transition. The night that Jesus was, uh, before he went to 
the cross. He gave this meal. And, and, and the, the writers of the New Testament later would tell us that what happened on the cross was that he disarmed the authorities through the cross. He disarmed all the powers at B, the power of sin, the power of death, and in his resurrection, uh, he, he triumphed over them through the cross. So Jesus, knowing that, implements this meal. And as he's closing this meal, he says, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. I will not eat this meal with you again until the kingdom is in its fullness. And then we'll all gather around together. Until then, you come to this table as a remembrance and as a renewal that the kingdom of God has already come. So what we've decided to do, at least for this season while we're doing this prayer, you can turn in your order of worship to page seven. I'm not gonna pray. I'm just gonna guide us through the Lord's Prayer as we come to this table together. And we're gonna pray as Jesus taught us to pray before we come to this table. And remember, this is the table of the kingdom. So I invite you to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.